You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. God, um, uh, just pray that you would uh, just bless the words that I'm, I'm going to preach today, and um, just pray to everybody who's in the audience, either virtually or here in person, um, that they would open their hearts and, and um, be able to see a good word for them themselves today. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, you've already heard a bit of my intro, thanks to <laughs> Natasha. Um, my name is Mario Bossi. All pronouns are cool with me. And as Natasha just called out, you know, Forefront has been my home um, since 2018. And n- not only has it been my home, but it's also been the place that Natasha and I ultimately got married in 2019. Um, so I'm part of the 2022 uh, cohort of preaching boot campers. So preaching boot camp, yes. Um, and I also volunteer occasionally on the kids stuff team. And I'm an avid participant in Kinship Cafe, so I hope some of y'all will join me after this service. Cheers, queers, and the over 35 small group. So, so I, I really wanted to you know, just start off by, by sharing with, with y'all that I, I love a great bargain, okay? I'm one of those people that um, you know, in college would be up at five in the morning, you know, waiting in front of the mall, for the doors to open. And when they'd open, I'd run in and try to grab some great deals. Never mind that I actually didn't have anything on my shopping list that I needed. You know, it was just about getting the great deal. You know, I'm also the person during our Independence Day sales this July who was, you know, searching online for all the great bargains and all the great deals. And I'm happy to say I actually got some great stuff. I got some really great stuff. And one thing in particular that I got was a, a shirt that I got for 10 bucks from a pretty reputable brand. It was this shirt. I'll show it. It was a shirt, $10, right? Not bad. Um, and um, one of the things that Natasha didn't mention is that in addition to being our bookkeeper, she's also a personal stylist. And so when I showed her the shirt, she said, you know, Mary, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you get a good bargain if it's not something you would have bought full price. And so you know, her comment to me made me really think about, okay, well, what's that about? You know, where did this impulse come from? Why am I so excited about getting a great deal and saving money, even though I'm buying something I may not actually need or want. And so the more I thought about this habit and the more I kind of thought about you know, my history, my background, the more I thought about my, my family. And I grew up with, a, with an older brother who I knew, my family knew, would have to be supported financially for all of his life. Um, and so I grew up with that, expecting that that responsibility would fall on me Uh, when my parents were no longer able to care for him. Well, my brother passed away um, 12 years ago at the age of 33. And so he's gone, right? But that impulse is still there. The circumstances surrounding my beliefs about the scarcity of money and the need to save have changed, you know, but my behavior really hasn't. And so I'm wondering this morning if maybe you can relate to that. You know, are you in a different circumstance, in a different financial place today 
than maybe you were pre-pandemic. But maybe you're still living as if inflation isn't a thing, as if we're not currently in a, almost in a recession, not quite, but almost in a recession, right? Are you operating um, from a peacetime playbook when our civil rights are under unprecedented attack in this country, right? So many of the rights that we've taken for granted, whether it's our voting rights, um, LGBTQ plus rights, right, are under attack currently. Well, I know I am. And so I asked myself, well, why is it so hard to change even when our circumstances are different? And so I'd like today to explore what the scripture might have to say about that. So today's text is from the book of Luke, chapter 16. And I'm just going to give you a quick warning, right? So just prepare your, your hearts and minds because it's long. So it's a long text. All right. So it goes, I'm re and I'm reading from the NIV version. So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a, laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him up um, to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted and here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from there here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And so he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, because I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wow. <laughs> a lot going on here, right? Um, so this is a very rich text, and there's lots of themes that we could explore and unpack, and in my process of putting this together, I definitely went in lots of different places. And so we won't have time for all, to unpack all of them today. Um, and one of the, you know, maybe it's a bit of the elephant in the room, but we won't unpack, is the references to hell and Hades and heaven. You know, if you're interested in that, I want to recommend the sermon that our founding pastor Jonathan Williams preached several weeks back. It quite literally was fire, no pun intended. <laughs> okay, now that we got hell out of the way, um, let's get ourselves grounded, right, in some context for this passage. So we are in the book of Luke. And Luke was believed to have been a doctor and a Gentile, so someone who did not practice, uh, come from the Jewish faith. And this is a letter that he's actually writing to another Gentile, a guy named Theophilus, who was a man likely of higher status and wealth. So in this sense, you know, this gospel, and Luke's gospel, I think is great. 
in the sense that it's, it's really directed towards someone like me, right, who is not of Jewish faith. When we meet Jesus and he's telling this parable, he's actually traveling to Jerusalem, where, you know, spoiler alert, he's going to be killed by the state on the cross, and then he's going to rise from the dead. And so as he travels, he's telling these stories to his disciples and to a group of Pharisees. And so the way I think of it, so it's a long story, so I had to kind of break it down for myself. And so I said, this is a story that's really written in three acts, and it's got three main characters. So in act one, we meet the first two characters, the rich man and Lazarus. And we only know two things about them, right? We only learn that the rich man is living the life. You know, I'm talking five-star restaurants. I'm talking he's decked out in Gucci and Prada and what have you, right? He is, you know, that, when it, that reference to purple linen, right, was very scarce. And so he's really living the life, right? Lazarus, by contrast, is living, basically living on the streets in front of the gates of the rich man. He's in deep poverty. He's in emotional and physical pain, right? He's got the sores all over his body. And I think they talk about, you know, how he hungered for literally crumbs to fall from the rich man's table, you know, but that's, in my view, that hunger is not just for food, it's also for human connection, right? He was outcast, he was outside of the gates. The only thing that Lazarus actually has at this point is his name. And I think this is actually the only parable, right? We've been in the parable series, this is the only parable where actually Jesus names a character. And so I think that's so important. And so when I looked into his name, it turns out it comes from the Hebrew Eliezer, Eliezer meaning God is my help. And that's the only thing Lazarus has, right? All right. Let's move on to Act 2. So in Act 2, both men, are both men die. Rich man gets buried. Lazarus, the angels take him to Abraham's side. And just so you know, in some translations, side is also interpreted as bosom. So literally, Lazarus was taken to the comfort and care of Abraham and by his side, almost as if at, sitting at a place of honor at a feast. So what's happened? Their circumstances have changed. They've switched places. Where the rich man was feasting and indulging, Lazarus is now able to sit at Abraham's side and feast. Where Lazarus lived a life of deep pain and as a social outcast, the rich man is now in pain and cast out. And so here's where we meet our third character, Abraham. So Abraham, just so you know, he was the guy who received the call from God to basically start the nation that became Israel and from which, you know, and from his line is the line from which Jesus came from, came to us from. The other thing that I think is interesting in this parable is that Abraham was very wealthy, right? So Genesis um, chapter 13, verse 2 tells us, Abraham was rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So he's actually kind of similar to the rich man in, in terms of the, will, the wealth he had in, in, in his life. By the time you get to, the, now let's get to the third act, Right? And so now this is probably where most of the drama happens. These guys are actually having a conversation. And so the rich man starts out by saying, hey, Father Abraham, please, please send Lazarus to me and have him just dip his finger in water and put that water on my tongue because I'm in agony. And so my first question in reading that was I was just like, why would that be what he asked for, right? Like if you're, you're going to ask a question and you're in fire, right, your skin is being burnt off, why would you just ask for a drop of water? Why wouldn't you ask to be taken out of this place entirely? Why wouldn't you ask for relief from all of that? And so who knows, right? Maybe he actually somehow felt that he deserved to be where he was, right? And Abraham does respond. He says, remember, 
Remember what your lifestyle was like before you died. Remember what Lazarus' lifestyle was like before he died. And I want you to notice something here because I think it's also, it's very important. Abraham doesn't say it's because you were wealthy that you are now suffering. He simply just says, remember, right? Recall your circumstance. It's simply a statement of fact. And so I think this parable explicitly rejects the idea that the current situation is due to the rich man's wealth. Because we also have that contrast with Abraham, who's also very wealthy, who was wealthy, but who is with Lazarus in, in, in this place. So I think the clue here in terms of what's really going on is about the way the rich man was living out his wealth. Like, who really needs the five-star dinners every single day, right? Who really needs the piles and piles of clothes and Prada and Gucci and Virgil, all the things? Who really needs that piling up, right? And I think for us in our present day and in our present context, we can reflect on the fact that we have literally 81 people, 81 billionaires today who have 50% of the world's wealth. That's true. And many of them, some of them, are using those, that wealth for good works, which is great, right? But we also have some of them that we know who are, you know, maybe building the world's biggest yacht or, you know, going on space tourism, you know. Mars is cool. I mean, I also want to go, but, you know. <laughs> or maybe even challenging each other to cage fights, right? You know, maybe there's some better uses for your wealth, right? And so I think then Abraham tells us why. He says, hey, there's an, an uncrossable chasm between, between them. And chasm is a Greek word that is used to refer to a gaping opening, an impassable gulf. And so then I was like, well, how are these guys having a conversation if there's this huge gulf, chasm, right? Like, I don't know, that would be hard to have a conversation over. And then I started to think about the first request that the rich man had. He did not actually ask Lazarus directly for help or for relief. He asked Abraham to send Lazarus to help him. And that was my clue that maybe this man has a fundamentally hierarchical view of society and of the world, right? He cannot interact with anybody who is in a, what he considers to be beneath him, beneath his status. Abraham, he accepted as, oh yeah, we're either of equal wealth and status, so I can talk to you, or you're higher than me, and so you know, I, can, I can ask you for things. But he didn't want to do that to Lazarus. And so... You know, I think ultimately this rich man perceives Lazarus as just no better than his errand boy. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I've, I, I know what it's like to not be acknowledged, to have somebody else ask something that concerns me. And I think we can probably all relate. Like, maybe, maybe you've, you've gone to the restaurant and the waiter asks your husband what you will have for dinner, right? Maybe it's the, the, the security guard that selected me for random screening every single time I came into the United States, right. right? Maybe because I have a little bit more melanin in my skin, maybe because I was coming from Nigeria. And maybe it's even our so-called allies who are so sure they know exactly what we need that they try to tell us what we need without actually listening to our stories or asking us what we need. You know, maybe it's the American judges who believe that our law should be based on a strict understanding of what a group of white men 300 years ago yeah. thought, even though those men at that time didn't see the humanity and dignity of all people, right. whether they were women, whether they were Native Americans, whether they were um, people of color. 
So Martin Luther King puts it like this. The sin was not that he was cruel to Lazarus, but that he refused to bridge the gap of misfortune that existed between them. The sin was not his wealth. His wealth was his opportunity, right? I'm going to say that again. His wealth was his opportunity, right? His sin was his refusal to use his wealth to bridge the gulf between the extremes of superfluous, inordinate wealth and abject, deadening poverty, right? But we're not done, though. The rich man has more requests. You know, he says, send the Aaron boy Lazarus to my five brothers. And Abraham's like, well, they already know everything they need to know. They have the Old Testament. They got Moses. They got the prophets. And the rich man says, but no, but no, they'll get it if somebody rises from the dead. And Abraham says, no, nope. If the Old Testament, if Moses and the prophets was not sufficient, they're not going to get it, even if someone rises from the dead. And so the rich man never gets it, right? He's asking a lot of questions, which we love to do here at Forefront, right? But he's not listening to the answers. He's not letting new information or the circumstance change his heart or his perspective. He's not asking better questions. He's not getting curious. He never, he never asks about, what is this chasm? Why am I where I am? He doesn't, ask, he doesn't ask Lazarus directly for help. Because you know what? Maybe Lazarus would have helped him, right? Because Lazarus had experienced intense and deep suffering, so he knows how it feels. He might have had a different response. He might have been able, wanted to plead that rich man's case and said, no, we got to help. Because someone, sometimes those of us who experience hardship are the ones most willing to help others who we see experiencing hardship. But for the rich man, it's too late. And so I guess I'm wondering, you know, do you feel like you have some chasms in your life that are too great to cross? Are there ways in which you are still behaving out of fear or acting out of fear, even though the sources of that fear may be gone, your circumstances have changed? And do you feel like the rich man, it's too late? And I know some of us are probably in that place today. And it's because it just takes work, right? It takes work. It takes work and intentional work to see and then go against systems of oppression. It takes work, right, that to accept the truth that in order for us to flourish does not require for others not to flourish, right? Even though the gospel tells us that's a false choice, right? It's not me or you, but you and me, right? And even though we have the good news today, we, have, we know that Christ has already laid his body down across that chasm. He, has, he is our bridge, and he's already done the work, right? We don't have the work to do. We've got a God who walked with their own creation, who wept, who was afraid, who was betrayed, who was forsaken, who was tempted. He knows exactly what it is to be human and loves us no matter where we're at. And notice something else in this text. We're never told what Lazarus believes, right? There are some, some denominations that would have you believe that God only loves you if you believe in God, right? If you profess your, your faith. In this parable, Lazarus is taken to that place of honor beside Abraham. And it's not because he's professed his faith. We, not, we don't know. God wants you to see yourself the way that she does. Worthy of a place at her side. And so, I know I said this was a story in, told in three acts with three characters, and then, but this led me to wonder, maybe there's a fourth act that's written by us right now. You know, some of us today might identify the most with the rich man. 
And I would say, let God open your eyes to your true circumstances. Like Martin Luther King said, let, let your wealth be your opportunity. And some of the things that's helped me is really allowing my community to be God's hands and feet in my life, right? And I think you can listen with an open mind for what your community has to tell you about how they experience you and the things you do and say, right? And I think that community could be so many different people. It's definitely Natasha, right, who called me out for wearing a, you know, buying a bad shirt. <laughs> it's my friends, it's my therapist, it's my teachers, my mentors, my, my community group, over 35s, yes, yeah. It can also be journaling or praying or reflecting on how various interactions are making you feel and what's beneath the things you do out of habit but that are no longer serving you or those around you. And I think you can also find sources of joy and self-care. I think it would be a horrible thing if your takeaway from this is, I should never enjoy the five-star dinner or I should never treat myself to the fancy jacket like I've done today, <laughs> right? I think you can find sources of joy and self-care because I think that's a reminder of how God wants us to feel, right? SN CEO Caroline Wonga says, we can be on a justice fight and on a joy journey. These things are not mutually exclusive, right? Maybe some of you today identify most with Abraham. Maybe you feel you are bringing your wealth, your social connections, your race, your employment. Maybe you've already seen the opportunity to help the rich men in your world see and make space for different stories to be told and for others to be uplifted. And so for you, I'd say thank you for your advocacy and for speaking out. You know, I think Forefront has been that Abraham for me, letting me know that my voice and my story matter when other, other communities of faith told me otherwise, right? And then finally, some of us are Lazarus, right? We're dealing with deep pain and isolation, and please know that God is your help. That is Lazarus' name, and that is our name too, right? As children of God, God is our help, right? And they are at work making the rich man see you and the new circumstances that we are all in as children of God. They've answered every request that was in this parable. They've quen God has quenched our thirst by giving us the living water in Jesus Christ. God has given us the testimony of Christ's resurrection. Some of us aren't even sure where we are in the story. And so rest assured that the love of Christ is wide enough and high enough and long enough and deep enough to handle all of your doubting and questions. So with that, let us pray. And this is a prayer from the Book of Tiny Prayer by Micah Busey. For those who need a change, may you step out of the shadow of self-doubt and seek the warmth of conversation with those who will listen to your desires, hear your fear, and reflect back to you the excitement you might not be able to conjure yourself. May you remember that no one in all of history has ever done anything, especially transform, without help. And may you open your heart and mind to the voice within and to the voices who believe in you until that chorus sings you into new keys you feared were far out of your range. Amen. Um, we have an opportunity to start to practice uh, our understanding of our new circumstances. Um, communion is a place where all, all are welcome. Um, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took, he took the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine and, drank, and, sh and shared the drink out with his disciples and said, drink this, this is my blood in remembrance of me. 
And so I would ask that as you come up and take the elements, we have gluten-free bread, right? We have um, grape juice, non-alcoholic. Um, so please come, come, take the elements and keep and hold on to them so that we can partake in them together. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.